Let's pray. Lord, thank you for what you're doing in drawing us into relationship, not just with yourself, but with each other. Would you encourage us, Lord, would we be an encouragement to those with whom we interact? Would you build real community? Let there be salt and light in our groups and through our groups into our community. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, one of the things I love most about where we are and where we're walking is that that is actually my dad. And he is one of the elders uh, here at Saltbox. And just a, such a privilege to be able to um, walk with them in, that, in this way. So anyway, thank you. Um, I call him Steve sometimes in these settings, but thanks, Dad. Um, when I was a teenager, I called him Pops. Um, we are in, uh, we're studying um, Onesimus today, um, but before we go there, I want to start by actually praying about something. Um, one of our core values is to be outward focused, and something came to my attention early this morning. Um, one of our teachers in the back, her name is Brittany, and um, she's uh, teaching one of the, the kids' rooms this morning, but she had a 14-year-old student that she taught last year, now a student at New Hanover, that committed suicide just a couple of days ago. And I wanted to, to pause and pray. Um, it's a, the student was a freshman at New Hanover. And um, I think I refuse to be a church that just um, focuses on uh, rainbows and fluffiness and good. And we, we must be a church that engages the city where the city is. Can you agree with me there? And so I want to, I wanna, that's why I even mentioned um, the, the opioid crisis last week, but I want to start by actually praying for that little girl. Her name was Jamie and her family. And then I want to pray for New Hanover High School, and then I want to pray for Hoggard High School. And we'll add Ashley and Laney into it as well. So um, will you join me there? Lord Jesus, um, our hearts are broken that a little girl took her life this week. And as I understand it, she took her life because she was, uh, number one, bullied, but because, number two, her family was deported and she was left alone. And um, I think there was extensive bullying around that. And, uh, Father, I, my heart's broken um, that a little 14-year-old girl would take her life. And, Father, I pray that you would raise us up as salt box to be salt and light. Lord, I never want us to be a religious, condemning, um, ugly voice in this city. Lord, we want to be a voice that brings light. We want to bring, be a voice that brings hope. We want to be a voice that brings purpose. And Father, would you guard our hearts as a little church from becoming um, self-focused? And would you let us keep our focus external on those out there around us, on the ones that you want to reach? And Father, we cry out to you this morning for New Hanover High School. The whole school is in a tizzy. The girl went to uh, Williston last year, and I know Williston is now also in a tizzy. And it, it puts administrators in a tailspin. It puts parents. It puts students. And Lord Jesus, we cry out to you that you would do what only you can do, which is take a situation that is so um, desperate and hopeless and that you could bring hope into it. Father, as Matt and Brittany go and attend this funeral this afternoon, would you go with them and would you allow them to be a source of salt and light? And then, Father, the last thing I want to pray for is I want to lift up Clive and Ruth, two of our elders who are in actually going into a country that I'm not going to name to minister to the fastest growing church in the entire world. And, Father, they're literally going to be preaching to people who've been in prison for their faith, to people who've been abused um, and, and condemned for their faith. And, Lord, I pray that as they minister, that you would give them strength, you'd give them energy, you'd give them vitality, and, Lord, go with them. In your name we pray. 
Amen. Thank you for letting me start that way. Um, I am in, I sent out an email about Onesimus. I hope you got that. Did uh, anyone figure out what book we're in? What? Colossians and Philemon. Yeah, we're actually going to read the book of Philemon today. Um, I hope you got that. So uh, we are, Philemon is, uh, it's not even one chapter. It's just a couple of paragraphs. So if you want to start at the very end of the Bible, Revelation, you're going to work back and you're going to get right in front of Hebrews, and that's where Philemon is. Now, um, I'm going to try to read it without making comments, but there's a couple little parts that I love. So follow along with me, and uh, we will let the Lord minister to our hearts. Philemon, verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Appia was most likely his wife, by the way. Verse 3, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of God's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is none other than Paul, an old man, Paul had probably been in prison 30 years at this point. Paul, an old man, now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you would, uh, you would do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a dear brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. One more thing, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you. In answer to your prayers, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and uh, so do Mark, Aristocrus, Damas, Luke, and my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. Holy Spirit, as we open your word today, would you enliven our hearts? Would you change us? Would you conform us? Would you make us into the very likeness and shape of Christ Jesus? Jesus, live your life through each of us. In the great name we pray, amen. I love Onesimus. I realize as I uh, get up here talking about these various characters, I'm always going, I love this guy. But I really do love this guy. Onesimus is um, an incredible story. Um, his name actually means useful. That's what Onesimus would have meant, useful. 
And, you know, most likely he was given that name, probably not by his parents. What parent's going to name their kid useful? <laughs> he was given this by a slave owner, a master. It could have been Philemon, actually. And Philemon would have been a very wealthy man. And this, is, this entire letter is actually written from Paul um, to Philemon. And, you know, if I could make a couple, I guess, of comments, I think it does a disservice that we call all of Paul's letters epistles. Not that that's a negative word, but it gives you an understanding that's sort of religious and churchy and biblical, and you're like, what in the world's an epistle? These are just letters. Paul did not set out to write the Bible. He actually set out, and he was writing letters to friends and to companions and to churches. And what's fascinating to me even about the Bible is if you look at it, it was written by 40 different authors over 1,500 years, in three languages. It's a collection of historical um, documents. It's a collection of genealogies. It's, it's, um, it's poems. It's uh, a number of letters. And then the Lord grouped it together into the canon of Scripture. And if there's anything that convinces me of the Lordship of Christ Jesus, it's that 40 different people could come together and agree on anything, much less write 40 different pieces of literature that end up being in one stream in theological unity. That is a miracle. There is a God in heaven. So Paul is sitting in prison when he writes this letter. He's either in a Roman prison or he's in Caesarea. So if he's in Rome, you guys know where that is. Caesarea is this gorgeous little maritime village right on the Mediterranean with crystal clear blue water. And that's where Herod had built his palace. And if Paul was in that prison, he would have been writing from there. But either way, when you're looking here at a, a letter of Paul, you basically have to ask, number one, what were the circumstances that prompted the letter? Number two, uh, what is the purpose of the letter? Why is Paul writing? And then number three, what's the other side of the conversation? In other words, you're only getting half of a conversation. It's literally like we're in a big conversation. Brian and I are talking and talking and talking. And then you cut it and you just listen to half the conversation. It's kind of like, what? So it's actually difficult at some level to piece back together. What is Paul saying? Why is he saying it? How did this even come about? And to sort of look at what's happening. And that's really what we want to do today in the life of Onesimus. I think if there was um, any lie that I think the enemy would love for us as believers and even people out there uh, who are non-believers to believe, it would be that you can't change. That human nature can't be shifted. And the God of the Bible, this Jesus that came and walked the earth and ultimately went to a cross and was crucified, buried, and then resurrected, when he was resurrected, all power in heaven and earth was made available so that people like you and me could change. Can we change in our own strength? Maybe a little bit, not a lot. But when we come to Christ Jesus, he actually changes who we are on the inside, and then he begins to live his life in us and through us. So what's amazing about this little book is you're talking about three people here. you got Paul. Remember how ugly Paul was? He's killing people, dragging people off in chains. He's, he's imprisoning people. He's this ugly, domineering, controlling, gnarly guy. And now here we are. He's been in prison almost 30 years when he's writing this thing. And all of a sudden, he is this gentle, he's kind He's actually giving control back to Philemon as we're going to look at what he's saying here. 
So we got Paul. <clears throat> then you have Philemon, who was a wealthy, wealthy man with many, many slaves. And you actually see a transition in Philemon. Now, Philemon probably first heard Paul preach in a little city called Ephesus. And it looks like he gave his heart or gave his life to the Lord Jesus. And he and his wife actually started a church in their home, either in Colossae or in Laodicea, little towns in Turkey, which is very near where Clive and Ruth are. <clears throat> And then you have our dear Onesimus. Now, what we begin to piece together as we go through this thing is that Onesimus, and I'm going to put my, do we have our points up there, Matt? Look at that. We do. So my first point here is Jesus is the God who allows the pain and pressure of our choices to bring us to him. Who knows that? Jesus is the God that allows the pain and pressure of our choices to bring us to him. Now, Onesimus was a slave, and Onesimus actually ran away from Philemon. Now, it appears that, and we don't know this, so I'm filling in some gaps and looking at some theological you know, connection points here, but Onesimus probably ran to Rome after he left his master. And the reason he ran to Rome is because he could disappear. You know, what better place to hide? If you're going to run away and disappear, you go to a big city, right? I go to New York or L.A. or, you know, get on the streets there and you can blend in and nobody will ever know, right? Well, that's what Onesimus does. He goes to Rome. And by and by, he is living life, we assume, sort of wildly, and who knows what he's doing. He's enjoying his freedom. And at some point, something gets so bad, and he ends up crossing paths with the great Apostle Paul. Amazing to me. Now, it could have been that he had heard his former master, Philemon, actually mention the Apostle Paul, because Philemon came to Christ via the Apostle Paul. And it may have been that life got so bad for Onesimus that he actually sought out Paul and went to him and said, help me. And Paul actually began to walk with him, to love on him, and led him to Christ Jesus. Now, Onesimus was probably also a thief. And he has run away from his master, Pray with me a second. Lord Jesus, as we unpack this letter, would you um, let us see your heart to reconcile people? Would you let us see your heart to forgive people? Would you let us see what you did in Philemon's heart to let him forgive Onesimus and Onesimus' heart to go back to Philemon? Father, open your word to us this morning in your name. Amen. I want to pause right here, and Onesimus, as a thief and as a runaway slave, is literally learning um, to live. He is living with his own choices, and he ends up um, in the presence of the Apostle Paul. And I can just imagine that he's been dishonest, he's been a thief, he's escaped from his master, and his heart, because it was inclined towards God, um, it's like the own sin in his heart was beginning to erode his heart, almost like water, salt water would erode metal. You know what I'm saying? And so it's like Onesimus, this thing's eating on him over time. And in time, he actually goes to Paul, and Paul begins to walk with him, and he begins this repentance journey and begins to go, man, I was really wrong back there. I wronged Philemon. I wronged my master. I was wrong to do what I did. So the question, though, then becomes is not... Uh, who is Onesimus at the beginning or at the middle, but who is this man at the end? Who is Onesimus at the end? And I want you to hold on to that because I'm actually going to come back to it. But the question is, who does this person become? So that brings me to my second point. 
which is Jesus is the God who forgives, who redeems, and who restores. Paul actually works with Onesimus to walk him through forgiveness, for walk him through redemption, to walk him through restoration. And I think what is amazing is he actually ends up calling Onesimus to go back to his master. Are y'all following me? So Onesimus has been a thief, he's been a runaway, he's run, run away from Philemon. And then as Paul is walking with Onesimus, he comes to the point where Paul goes, now it's time, Onesimus, that you go back to Philemon. Now let me give you a little piece here. When a slave is caught by their master in ancient Rome or in this world, they can do anything they want to him. Anything they want. The worst thing about slavery at this time is people are literally um, property. They're treated like tools. And if Onesimus is caught and he is sent back, he could literally, um, a hot iron could be taken and branded on his forehead, the letter F, sometimes F-G-V, it's, it's a, a, a Greek word, Roman word, um, fugivitus, like fugitive. The other thing that Philemon could actually do with this guy is he could hang him up and crucify him. He is within his full legal right to either brand Onesimus on the forehead or actually take his life. Now, I want to sort of pause here a minute because Onesimus is going through this life change. He is experiencing the redemption of Christ Jesus. He's experiencing the life of Christ Jesus. He's experiencing the transformation of Christ Jesus. But I want to speak to something because people have been very critical of Paul related to slavery. And I want you to see something here. Because Paul um, never speaks the word um, emancipation. In fact, one theologian actually says the word emancipation like just almost rings off Paul's lips, but it never quite happens. And people have actually criticized Paul because Paul sends Onesimus back in to slavery. He sends him back to his master. But here's what I want you to begin to sort of see and think and get, is that what Paul is appealing to is the law of love, the law of the gospel. He's actually saying to Philemon, remember? Yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is none other than Paul, an old man, now a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus. Now, was he a biological son? No. Paul was never married. Paul had no kids, but yet how many spiritual kids does Paul have? A lot. I'd count myself one of them. I appeal to you also, as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, they might appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son when I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, and now he's become useful. He's doing a play on his words because his name meant useful. Become useful to both you and to me. And I'm sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. Now, if we cross-reference a couple of scriptures here, 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greek, slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. Another verse, Galatians 3, 28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. So Paul is literally sending Onesimus back to Philemon, and he is trusting that Philemon is going to extend forgiveness. What do you think would have happened if Philemon would have killed Onesimus? You think this would have made it in the Bible? I 
doubt it. I can't wait to get to eternity, though, and ask Onesimus, how did it go down when you went back? Did Philemon fully forgive? Did he fully take you back? Did he fully welcome you back? Did the church welcome you in? Did they hate on you? Did they curse at you? Did they send you out? Or did they actually welcome you back in as a brother, which is what Paul's saying to do? More than a brother, as a friend. But what I love here is that you see Paul, and I actually think we get a little bit of a formula for dealing with social issues. Paul doesn't lead a protest movement. Paul doesn't hold signs on a street corner. Paul actually walks with Onesimus, and he's walked with Philemon, and then he sends Onesimus back to Philemon at the risk of of Philemon killing Onesimus. And Philemon forgives him and welcomes him. So what Paul is literally doing is instead of attacking slavery head on, slavery is evil. Paul should have attacked it, right? There were five million, one uh, historical record says five million people were in slavery at Rome during this time in the Roman Empire. One says 60 million. And of course slavery is evil, and yet the way Paul deals with it is by the law of love. He loves Onesimus, and he sends him back. You know, I would say to us as Christians, because I think right now, for whatever reason, especially in America, the evangelical American Christian scene, we've got a tendency to soapbox about a bunch of different things, get on our high horse. And I would remind us, how did Paul deal with a social issue? He loved, he discipled, he walked with somebody, and then he actually sent them back. He fully trusted Philemon. And it was the love that broke the bonds of slavery. It was the love of Christ Jesus in Philemon, in Onesimus, in Paul. It was their changed lives that broke slavery. So do I think Paul was radically against slavery? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. But he chose not to confront it head on. He chose to confront it sort of um, in a grassroots level. I want to go to my third point. Jesus is the God who calls us to go back and ask forgiveness and make things right. The whole book of Philemon is about a slave going back and asking for forgiveness and a master who has the right to deal any way he wants with Onesimus. I want to tell you two things about my own life right here for a minute. You heard me say a number of things last week, and as I've preached to you over the last year, you've begun to hear little pockets and parts of my story. And when I came out of the hard place I was in for about seven years... I took two years to go back and ask people's forgiveness. Two years. I wrote letters. I went and stood in front of church elder boards. I went and stood in front of a couple churches down in the city of Atlanta. I met with parachurch organizations. I sent out letters. Because there is something, I think one of the most powerful things about the gospel of Christ Jesus is that he calls us not only to forgive, but to go and seek forgiveness to go and ask for forgiveness where we've been wrong. And I'll never forget, um, I didn't know Abby was going to be sitting here in the front row, and I'm going to tell this story. But the first date she and I went on, I walked into her house and knocked on the door, and she answered, and she was going to come get into my truck, and we were going to go out and have a cup of coffee. 
and I handed her a letter that I had written and sent out. And I said, Abby, before we go, I want you to read this. She said, no, 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 it's fine. I'll read it on the way. And I said, no, listen to me. You need to read it before we go. And she said, no, I don't. I'll read it on the way. And I said, will you please, for me, read this before we go? And if you decide after you read it that you don't want to go, it's okay. Amazingly, she still went with me when she read it. <laughs> but I think one of the most powerful things about the gospel of Christ Jesus, about this entire book, is you have Philemon, who Paul is requiring of Philemon to forgive where he's been wronged. Have you been wronged? Has someone stolen something from you? Has someone gossiped against you? Has someone hurt you? And then you've got Onesimus, who is being required to deal with his sin before the Lord, and then Paul sends him back and says, now go and ask forgiveness. Go and ask forgiveness where you've been wrong. And I think one of the questions for us becomes, is there a place where you need to forgive? Where you need to let somebody go? Think with me a minute. If you passed a certain person on the street, would your throat close up? Would your heart beat fast? Would ugly thoughts or feelings rise up? If you say, absolutely not, there's nobody on the planet, I say, man, well done, way to go. <laughs> That's not probably true for most of us. But that'd be an indicator that we need to forgive. Now here's another layer. Is there a place in your life where you need to go back and ask for forgiveness? That's hard. It requires tremendous humility to go back and go, I was wrong. You know, one of the things we do at our family that I value so much is I refuse to just do sorry. Because when I bump into somebody in the hallway, I say, whoops, sorry, didn't mean to bump into you. But when I've actually done something wrong to someone, I'm going to go to them and I'm going to say, would you forgive me? I was wrong. And that is powerful. There's something so powerful because the cross of Christ is activated in that moment when we go back and ask somebody's forgiveness. And that's literally what Onesimus is doing here. I actually think it's one of the greatest powers available on planet Earth. And it's available because of the cross of Christ. It's simultaneously to forgive, but also to go and ask for forgiveness. See, it's Christ Jesus who forgave me. It's Christ Jesus who forgave you. It's Christ Jesus who made us new. And that then, that we have that responsibility and that empowering to forgive and to go and seek forgiveness is amazing to me. You know, one of my favorite... Um, I've mentioned this before, so I won't spend much time on it, but one of my favorite historical accounts of forgiveness is Corey Ten Boom. Have you ever read her? She was in a um, Nazi concentration camp. And um, her sister, she was actually um, of Holland descent, so she wasn't Jewish, but she was protecting Jewish people. And the Germans found her and her family out, and they threw her into a concentration camp. And um, she, is, she and her sister are in this camp together, and horrible things happen to both of them, and her sister's actually killed. And after the war, um, she's back living in Holland. She goes back into Germany to minister the hope of forgiveness. And while she's in this gathering, it's a basement gathering down um, 
underground. And she's ministering to just the hopeless place that Germany's in and saying, hey, God forgives you. God forgives you. And after the meeting, people are scurrying around, and there's a gentleman in a gray trench coat that walks up to her. And she literally says as she sees him, she flashes back to being in that concentration camp and being forced to strip her clothes off and walk in front of this man with her sister. And this man was part of actually uh, the death of her sister. And this man comes up to her and has no recollection of her whatsoever and says, I was part of this particular concentration camp and I've since come to Christ Jesus. And I know God has forgiven me for the evil things I've done. And he stuck out his hand to her and he said, would you let me hear it from your mouth that you forgive me? And it's like this crisis of faith that she has in that moment where it's like, no, I can't forgive. And she actually writes about how she dug in her pocketbook and she didn't want to look the guy in the eye. She didn't want to grab his hand. She's like, I can't forgive. And what she writes about is in that moment, she comes to this point where she goes, Lord Jesus, I can't forgive, but I know that you've forgiven me and I choose you and so I choose to forgive. And she says that act of her choosing to forgive liberated her entire life, set her free. And she reached out and shook that guy's hand. And then, get this, what I love about Corey Ten Boom is she goes on and she then talks about these silly, mundane things that are in all of our lives that she then had trouble forgiving people for. And she actually says, I was the one that stood in front of this Nazi prison guard who had wronged me so horribly and I'm able to forgive him and now I'm going to be bitter at my friend because she gossiped about me. She actually writes about how hard it is to go through life and to forgive. Now listen to me, church. Our little salt box church, you can call us little, you can call us whatever you want, Saltbox Church. If you can get a hold of two things, forgiving and asking not only God's forgiveness, but people's forgiveness, it will change your life. The entire book of Philemon, this little book, this little letter, this personal letter that we have is about giving forgiveness and asking for forgiveness. And I'd want to invite you into some self-reflection today. Is there someone in your life that you need to forgive? Oh, now let me say something about forgiveness. There's some situations in my life where I've forgiven. And guess what I have to get up tomorrow and do? Forgive again. And then I get up tomorrow, the next day, and what do I have to do again? Forgive again. And there's some of these dark nights where you wake up in the middle of the night, 3 to 5 a.m., and that's like that bitterness creeps back over your soul. You know what I'm talking about? And what do you have to do again? Forgive again. There's actually an author, uh, his name's R.T. Kendall, that I love. And he talks about, he's, he's actually, there's been some controversy over it. But I, I, if you study what he means, I love it. But he actually talks about forgiving God. Not in the sense that God's wronged you but in the sense that God might have disappointed you. You know that hymn, It Is Well With My Soul? A, a, a gentleman penned that after his family all passed away. His wife, his children, and a boat wreck. And so for him to write, It Is Well With My Soul, and that is huge. 
That's him sort of going to God, going, Lord, I've been disappointed in you. I've been frustrated with you. I've been embittered with you. And I choose to let it go. I choose to release it. The fourth thing that I want to point out here is that Jesus is the God who measures us by our surrender to Christ, not by our past. See, it's what Christ has done. It's not what we've done. There's something happening in our life right now that tempts me towards some guilt and shame and looking at the past and self-evaluation. And I have to get up and go, no, 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 no. Christ has paid for Michael's sin. Christ has paid for your sin. If you're willing to go to the cross and say, Lord Jesus, would you forgive me and, for, and, and receive that forgiveness? Jesus is the God who measures us by our surrender to Christ Jesus. There was a letter that a guy named Ignatius, who was an early church father, wrote. And uh, Ignatius was on his way to being martyred for his faith in Christ. So many people were martyred for their faith in Christ. And he was being taken from a city called Antioch to a city called Rome. And he writes a letter which still survives today to the churches of Asia Minor. And he is actually sitting in Smyrna when he writes it. But he, he's sitting there and he, he goes on and on and on about the bishop of the church in Ephesus. You know what the bishop's name was? Onesimus. Onesimus. Now, I can't tell you with 100% historical accuracy or archaeological accuracy, but I would suggest to you strongly that this Onesimus, whose name meant useful, who became useless, who became a thief and a cheat and a liar, who ran away and lived some wild life for some season of time. The same Onesimus who God brought across the path of the great apostle Paul. And Paul walked with him. We don't know how many months or how many years Paul sat with him in that prison and discipled him and walked him through to receiving forgiveness and repenting and, and then actually called him to go back and present himself, not just to Philemon, his former master, but the church that he'd been a part of. Go back and ask their forgiveness and submit to whatever they tell you. And he went. We don't even know what that's like. At the cost and the risk of being killed, he went back to that church. He went back and presented himself to Philemon. And then some 50 years later, he turns up as the pastor of the largest early church in Ephesus. The great Bishop Onesimus. Now listen to me, church. I don't know where you are on the journey, and we're all on a journey. You might be sitting here today, and you're going, Michael, there is something that's happened in my past, and there is no way I can forgive. And I'd say that is okay. Be on the journey. Take the next step. I'm not saying you have to be at the end of the race. I'm saying take the next step. If there's someone that you need to let go of a little bit more. Forgiveness is more about you than them. Do you know that? Forgiveness set Corey Ten Boom free when she shook that guy's hand. And then when you go back and ask someone to forgive you, it's more about you than them. Because that's freedom. That's freedom. I'm 38 years old and I spent two years of my life asking people to forgive me. you believe that? 
wrote letter after letter after letter because there is such power in the cross of Christ to forgive us, to extend forgiveness to other people. Now let's open up a couple hard things here for just a second. What if you've been horribly abused by a father or an uncle or a brother? Can you forgive? My answer, absolutely not. Can Christ in you forgive? Yes. I don't think Corey Ten Boom had it in her in that moment to extend a hand and go, I forgive. But I think Christ in Corey empowered her to forgive. Forgiveness is not a feeling. It is a choice. It is an act of the will. There's people that I don't feel like forgiving, and yet I get up and I go, Lord Jesus, I choose to forgive because you've forgiven me. And I trust that my feelings will eventually line up. Do they always? Sometimes it takes a long time. Can I be that honest? Can you be that honest? Because there's things in our past that are so hard to get over. But listen to me, church. If you will take those things to him, if you will seek to forgive, if you will actually come to him with those things that you need forgiveness for, if you will bring them into the light, he will set you free and he will change your life. And here we have Onesimus, most likely the great pastor of the greatest and largest of the New Testament churches who started as a runaway slave. So here's what I'd like. Rick, are you coming back up? Or is Perry? I don't know who is. Church, it's not about how you start. It's not about how you are at the middle. It's about how you finish. It's about who you are and how you are before God at the end. And here's what I want to invite you into as Rick plays here for just a minute. Is there anyone, just self-reflect, so let's just be still before him for just a minute. Is there anyone that the Holy Spirit is prompting you deep in your heart to forgive? You gotta let somebody go. I wanna broaden that this morning and I wanna even say, if you're here this morning and you're disappointed with God, if you're angry at God, then you need to let him go, you need to, Say, it is well with my soul. I want to invite you to do that. Is there someone that you need to write a letter to and actually ask their forgiveness? Is there someone that you need to go to and sit in front of them and go, you know what, I was wrong. I was wrong to you. I was wrong towards you. I was wrong about you. And I need to ask your forgiveness. side of this coin is maybe you're like Philemon today and there's actually someone that you've got to let go, that you've got to free. I want to actually just take a moment Rick, I'm going to do a moment of silence. Will you play? If you'll just play and let us just sit for a second. 
I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to minister to us. Lord Jesus, as we sit in this next minute, would you speak to our hearts? Lord, if we need to let someone go, would you help us let them go? If we need to go back and ask for forgiveness, would you speak that to us? Lord, if we need to actually forgive ourselves for something because you've already forgiven us, would you speak that to us? And Father, I want to invite you into this place. I want to invite you, Holy Spirit, into this space to work in our hearts and in our minds. Because you are the God who forgives, who heals, who restores, who makes all things new. And I believe in this room today, there's some relationships that you're calling some people to go back to, to connect with, to ask for forgiveness, to make things right that you want to heal. Let's sit for just a moment in that church. And when you come to him with your sin, he will forgive you. He will restore, just like he restored Onesimus. And when you come to him with that thing that you can't forgive, just like Philemon, he can forgive in you and through you, like Corey Ten Boom. Church, this is so significant. The Lord wants to set some of you free today. Why don't you stand with me? Rick, can we sing one of the... I don't even know what we can we end in the song. <laughs> yeah, Perry's gonna join us. Oh, good, Perry's coming. Guys, as Perry's guitaring up, listen to me. This is the most powerful thing about the cross, and it'll set you free. It'll set you free. Let's sing a closing song. I think. Good. The Spirit of the Lord is 
inside of you to forgive and if there's somebody today that he's calling you to go back to write a letter to he's the 
God that can empower you to do that. As you go today, go with the grace of the Lord Jesus resting upon your life. Go with your conversation being seasoned with salt and life. Go sharing the love of the Lord Jesus Christ with everyone you meet. Go knowing that the gracious hand of God is on you and He wants to intersect your life and the lives of those that you meet. In the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.